Welcome to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Green. Today, we have industry experts with the insights and perspectives on the latest cybersecurity news that affects your agency and organization. Today, we have Brian Knapp, renowned software developer. This is part one of my interview with Brian Knapp. Good day, Brian. How are you doing? Doing great, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I think we have a lot of interesting things to talk to as it relates to software engineering and software security. Prior to being DHS, I was doing presentations and talking about software complexity, software security. I also wrote a couple articles that reference a concept that you coined called software gravity. How did you come up with this concept and how do you lessen this force in modern software development? The concept of software gravity really started many years ago when a friend of mine went to a conference. Uh, He listened to a talk by Robert Martin um, also known as Uncle Bob, about a clean software architecture. And in this talk, uh, Robert Martin gives this really great explanation of what clean software architecture would look like. And so my friend and I spent a lot of time trying to make that real uh, because at the end of the talk, someone said, okay, this is all wonderful, but how do I make this real? And so, you know, uh, Robert Martin said, uh, it's between your ears, go code it. And uh, we were the two people who kind of took that to heart and said, okay. So we ended up exploring this thing, which I ended up calling obvious architecture, which was this very modular, very plug and play, pluggable kind of interface based system and really dug way deep into clean architecture. And that was a really interesting experiment and learned a lot about both software architecture and how people interact with software architecture which is kind of a story into itself. A couple years after ruminating on that, started to think about like, why is software architecture so bad? Kind of everywhere. And what I realized is, have you ever played the game Katamari Damashi? Or Damashi? I don't know if I'm saying that. It's Japanese. Um, yeah. So it's this game where you're this character who's like rolling around this little tiny ball. And as he rolls around this ball, he picks up more stuff. And this kind of just keeps going and going and going. And what I realize is that a lot of the software development that we do ends up looking like that, where the business says, hey, we can go get these customers if we have this feature. So let's build a feature. And we all like getting paid. So we build a feature and we keep doing this and doing this and doing this. And I realized that essentially software starts as this very simple thing. And over time, every piece of software I've pretty much ever seen, even like Minesweeper, has this weird tendency to like have stuff added to it and that there's a cycle where even in like the larger industry you'll have like some company who starts with a piece of software that's really simple and everyone goes oh man it's so great because it's so simple and it's clean and it's beautiful and then they like add stuff to it and then over time it becomes like feature packed but clunky and then eventually someone else comes along with this simplified clean beautiful thing that then gets feature packed and is clunky and so I observed this, I mean, I guess through my whole life with software and it just kind of clicked one day, like software really does have an almost physical gravity to it. And when that sort of force takes over, you just get like a forever pile of features and complexity that seems like it's almost impossible to stop. Yeah, I like how you use it's the force that pulls complexity and features uh, to, to a software project over a period of time. And you're right. 
you know, with the size of software and complexity, especially modern software development, software systems are definitely have more code and the complexity is so prevalent in today's modern software development. Yeah. And when I was actually really deeply thinking through this, I wrote this long article called The uh, Evolution of Software Architecture Application, something along those lines, and realized that there's like a progression that happens where, you know, you start with like a single file, you know, with maybe a few hundred lines of code max. And then at some point that gets so big that you're like, okay, I know the answer, multiple files. And so then you start putting multiple files together and then eventually you have this pile of files and you go like a framework and it progresses into uh, what eventually is basically a network system. And so you get network systems are almost the default now. Like I define a network system as essentially whenever you have two computers that have to talk to each other over some kind of network interface of some kind. So, you know, Ajax, uh, REST APIs, uh, RPC APIs, things like Thrift, um, all that. And now that's like really common. But, you know, five to 10 years ago, when I was really thinking about a lot of this stuff, it really wasn't. But what happens now that is so different than, say, a decade ago, two decades ago, is the default complexity starts higher, you know, and you see this in a lot of different places. Like, for example, JavaScript. I remember a few years ago, people would like have a little tiny bit of JavaScript and then like jQuery came around. And so then everyone was like, okay, let's use some jQuery and then like pull in some jQuery plugins and that's cool. And then now people are like, let's make the whole darn application out of jQuery and JavaScript and React and Angular and all of these things. And now there's like all these build tools and there's like 30 different libraries people use to do like the simplest JavaScript stuff. And because it's talking to networks and these pieces talking to each other. And so now like the default systems are like network systems. It's not like optional anymore. And with the network system, you have, as you understand, all the security implications of network systems and, t- you know, sending data across and is it secure and, you know, all the stuff you have to check for. Uh, but the real problem is most programmers were taught you know, say five, 10, 20 years ago, whenever they were in school, in a world where network systems weren't the default. And so all the problems that come with network systems aren't necessarily taught or bred into just the basic kind of way you think about software. And so people now are kind of reinventing the wheel that people decades ago who were building network systems, like the people who worked at the phone companies like Ericsson, AT&T, and so forth, they were building things like Erlang because they were building network systems to handle like phone calls. Well, now we're all building network systems. So things like the actor pattern and Erlang and functional programming and all of that kind of stuff is like, Oh, we need all of that now. And it's the people 50 years ago or whatever, who were building this stuff. They're the ones that have actually taken the time to think through this. I and mean, everyone else is just catching up. Yeah. It seems like the attack surface has grown tenfold with all the complexity and size of today's software, most definitely. Well, and I remember I remember being in college back in the early 2000s when I think it was Windows XP. It was like Service Pack 1 or Service Pack 2. One of them was like a big security one. And I remember like it taking down huge swaths of computers that didn't have it. And so the school would like have people make sure that they had the Service Pack installed before they would let them on the network. And that was a long time ago and certainly the the threats and the problems are far bigger than they were even then. Absolutely. 
And Brian, I was reading your blog entitled, What is the Hardest Skill to Teach in Software Engineering? You indicate that there's one skill that's very, very hard to teach. I want to know from you is what is that skill and what is its impact on the quality and security in software? And why is it impossible to teach? The skill that is, I would say, impossible to teach is the notion of software minimalism, which is the opposite of software gravity. It's the idea that you would use the least amount of software possible, ideally no software at all, um, in many cases would be the best solution. But the reason it is so hard to teach and this absolutely impacts security is that force of software gravity is so built into everything that we do, you know, um, all the way to the business decisions where, you know, there's not many businesses that are driven by the idea of like fewer features and taking away functionality. I mean, if you went to, you know, your boss, if I went to my boss and said, you know, it'd be really great if we just like cut all of the features in half, and just got rid of half of them and just told our customers we don't do those features anymore. Our security would be better. Uh, we could move faster. Our complexity would be lower. Everything would generally improve if we did that. And he'd go, you know, yeah, except for the bottom line. We would lose a lot of customers and they'd be really mad at us. And then we would lose our job. So a lot of this is built into just the basic economics of software development. But then on the other hand, it's also kind of baked into how, how we act as people. So it's kind of the like more is better mentality is kind of in everything. It's so hard to meet someone, you know, I mean, I've really never met anyone who actually goes about the business of creating fewer features and cutting that down and you know where the rubber meets the road in terms of security and attack vectors and all of that is it's so hard to get anyone to reduce their dependencies um dependencies seem to grow exponentially over time so you know i remember a time when you could write uh, php or ruby with basically no extra libraries and now, you know, it's not uncommon to have projects with dozens or hundreds of dependencies. And every one of those dependencies has its own set of security flaws and security problems and so on. And, you know, frankly, I would love to believe that we can teach programmers to, to somehow say no to more dependencies. And there's a few, but all the incentives all of the economics, all of the psychology, everything is really built around this idea of more, just build more. It's like, you know, if we were building physical structures, you know, we would be like, how do we build the tallest skyscraper? And then after it's built, we'd have people go, you know, that's really great. You know, it'd be better if it were taller and wider and had even more stuff inside. And also like, lasers and space escalators and rocket ships and stuff. Um, and that's, it seems silly in the real world, but that's what software has been for as long as I know it. So until you can get like the entire industry to somehow reward people differently, I don't see a future where, where there's fewer dependencies, fewer complexity, uh, fewer attack vectors. Um, the upshot of this is, ironically enough the it used to be that yeah you would manage your own dependencies and keep them relatively small because you didn't need your software to do that much now there's literally companies that exist that do nothing more complicated than watching for security flaws 
in all the dependencies and dependent software that we have to make sure that it's you know kept up to date and patched and so forth. That becomes a layer of complexity too, where then you have to you know keep that up to date and that managing all of these things. And so then you have like layer upon layer upon layer of complexity and very few people at some point could even operate in a very simple environment because they don't even know how, you know, like there will be a point where people can't operate without a hundred packages and dependencies. You know, the idea of like writing simple vanilla JavaScript or Ruby or C sharp or any of that might be like something no one does after a point. Which sounds strange, but that happened largely to assembly, happened largely to C, happened largely to C++, I guess, as well. And I imagine at some point things like Java and higher up the stack will be too, quote, low level for anyone to care about. Um, but that's that's like the expectation in software. And that's why it's so hard to teach any sort of, you know, minimalism. But, I mean, you can see that in people's lives too, right? Like people keep buying more stuff and then they buy books and courses and things about how to have less stuff. Yeah, it seems yeah. like we hoard things and, you know, when we need them, we try to go pull them. And a lot of times we buy stuff, hold on to stuff that we're not going to even use and we just accumulate stuff over a period of time. Yeah. And there's a quote from the movie Fight Club, and I hope I'm not butchering it, but it's it's the stuff that uh, you own ends up owning you. And software is very much that thing where the features and the complexity you know, that we buy and that we own and we build end up, you know, controlling our lives to a large extent. Speaking of building software, I came across an article entitled Library Patterns, Why Frameworks Are Evil. The author author points out that frameworks are evil for several reasons. One, frameworks don't compose well. Two, frameworks are hard to explore. And three, frameworks shape how you code. What are some what are your thoughts, I should say, about using frameworks in modern software development? Well, I agree with uh, all of those issues, though I think that there's a maybe even bigger issue with frameworks, which is um, I think frameworks are useful in the sense that they allow people and companies to really take massive advantage of other people's work. And, you know, build on top of existing greatness, so to speak. So that's very positive. And it allows for things like hiring at a large scale, which is also very positive. Um, And these things really become necessary to some extent at the level of complexity that we tend to operate in. So if you want to build a large company and have lots of developers and so forth, a framework is generally considered a pretty good way to go. The problem is, is that a framework is really a way of thinking about the world. And it's really like one or two person's way of thinking that then gets sort of pushed out to everyone. And that can be really useful for solving a certain set of problems. But frameworks exist really at certain levels of complexity. Um, And I can give you examples. So like in the world of, say, writing video game software, frameworks and libraries related to writing like two dimensional games, right? So you have, you know, just a 2D plane of sprites and animation and so forth. So you can make Tetris and you can make Pong and you can make the old 2D Mario games. That's great. But once you want to move into 3D, you have things like Unity and um, Unreal Engine and all of those. And those are monstrously complex, right? And to a large extent, you can use a Unity or a Unreal Engine to make a simple 2D game, but you really don't need to, right? If you try and apply one to the other, 
they start to fall down really fast. And what happens is, to go back to the sort of evolution of software concept, is that frameworks exist at a level of complexity, uh, a lot of times, say, between 10,000 and 100,000 lines of code, where they work really well. That level of complexity keeps growing, right? So your code base keeps getting bigger and you have more things and more pieces. And what people have to do then is start inventing things on top of the framework or almost create meta frameworks to go above and around the frameworks before they get so big that they have to break them up into smaller parts and smaller pieces. A framework isn't necessarily evil, but what happens is people get so stuck in them well, I think we have to wrap it up here. I want to thank our guest today, Brian Knapp. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives with your host, Kevin Green. Until next time, peace.